Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, well, Sharon, good afternoon. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are things down toward Raleigh today? It's a little chilly, but I see that you are back into the office. Back into the office. That's right. Back in the studio here. Yes, you are. All the seats Maybe around I... me are empty, though. I know, right? Maybe it won't <laughs> be too long and... I'll be able to be back in there, even with the mask on. Even with the mask on. Hey, it'll be beyond the mask with a mask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of funny you say that because some of the nurses at one of the places I work at are on my Facebook page and they know about the podcast, but they call it behind the mask. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, we've been called a lot of different Close things. Close enough. So, but, uh, well, those are the things that we call each other off there. <laughs> well, I think we have another wonderful show put together for folks today, um, especially in light of COVID and where we are right now. Amen. And this thing just keeps on going and going and going, doesn't it? Well, you know, I think none of us really think COVID is going away. Um, you know, we're just going to have to figure out how we live with COVID and COVID lives with us. So. But along with us today, we have Linda Stone. Hey, Linda, how are you? I'm good. Thank you, Jeremy. Good, good. Hadn't seen you in a little while. But Linda, for those of you who don't know her, um, she is president of the North Carolina Association of Nurse Anesthetists. I think you're also chair of the ANA Peer Assistance Advisors Committee, right, Linda? That's right, yeah. Okay. And you're the assistant program director at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro uh, Nurse Anesthesia Program. That's correct. Right, so... Have you, you got enough to do, Linda? <laughs> um, well, you're also married, right? And, and you have, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. she's got two plenty boys. to do. And two boys. See? <laughs> she's married to a CRNA. Or no, that's uh, your colleague. Yes. Well, yes. That's good. Okay. Yeah. All right. I thought we were going down another road here that I didn't know about <laughs> because I was like, I didn't know that about you. So, uh, <laughs> uh, well, we have another guest with us today. We have Mr. Rigo Garcia. Welcome, Rigo. Well, thank you, Jeremy. It's uh, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know a little bit about your background, so I'll just kind of regurgitate what I do know. You're, you're a CRNA. You also have your MBA. So you're smart on both sides of the equation, I see here. <laughs> ah, uh, another money guy, uh, Yeah, yeah. I like to see CRNAs with MBAs. I think that's a great combination. And you're also the CEO of Parkdale out in Indiana? 
Yeah, that's correct. We're right outside of uh, right outside of Chicago, about forty five minutes out of Chicago on the Indiana side. Okay. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background, and then maybe introduce our our listeners who don't know about Parkdale. Give them a little bit of background about Parkdale and how you got there. Yeah, sure. So I'll uh, I'll start by telling you kind of how I got there, the real the real quick version of it. I'll try to pack the last ten years in in about twenty seconds or so. But, uh, <laughs> um, I had a, a sports injury and ended up with the prescription and unable to get off the medications on my own. Uh, I ended up in a treatment center that specialized in treating healthcare professionals, and I realized that they were. There was a room full of healthcare professionals, which was really surprising to me that there were that many people going through the same thing, alcohol, drugs, mental health. Um, and I thought that uh, I wanted to do something about it. My wife is a nurse. So we both went back to school and both picked up our MBA degrees with this idea of opening up a treatment center specifically for healthcare professionals focusing on uh, uh, anesthesia providers and CRNAs and dealing with uh, substance use disorder and mental health uh, conditions. Wow. Well, what a what a great path that you've chosen there, and obviously you've had some personal experience, and that always makes the path better, I think. So, um, well, we're going to be talking today about coping with the mental effects of COVID, um, and I think we've got a lot of CRNAs out there, not just CRNAs. I mean, everybody from every walk of life is having to deal with this, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about uh, Linda. I'm sure you're going to talk to us about SRNAs. You being a, an educator. And then, um, Rigo, I'm sure from your side, what you're seeing in the CRNA community and how folks are dealing with, um, you know, the mental side of COVID. Well, we'll just go ahead and jump right in because this is a very rich topic for us, I am certain. And Linda, from your perspective, what types of mental health effects are you seeing or hearing about in students? And then, Rigo, we'll let you tackle CRNAs after Linda talks about what she's seeing in the student realm. Well, you know, one of the, at the very beginning, uh, you know, it really hit me because they were out of clinical. And of course, that produces a lot of anxiety because they start thinking about, am I going to graduate and how am I going to make the hours up and all those kind of things. And then there was a lot of fear. So I've seen fear. I've seen anger, certainly stress, anxiety, depression. It really runs the whole gamut. And a lot of that, I think from the beginning and even now, is really the lack of control. You know, we all like to have some degree of control and we're really living this real time. So we don't have control. There's so much that changes every day. So so those are the main things that I saw. And, uh, you know, then... The problem was, too, is that a lot of them were looking to me for all the answers. And, you know, I don't have them. So so that was a, a fairly stressful for me as well at the beginning. Linda, are you saying that, that CRNAs and SRNAs like control? Because I did not know that. <laughs> um, gosh, I've been married to a CRNA for almost 10 years now, and I, I have not been able to figure that out yet. I mean, this is, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yes, Jeremy, you've been around CRNAs a long time. You know how we are. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I do. Well, you know, Rigo, tell us a little bit about, you know, with your experience at as being the CEO of Parkdale and then working with CRNAs, are there things that you're seeing that is concerning or maybe unusual with COVID as you're, you're talking to folks who come in to see you? 
Hey, yeah, and that's that's a great question. Um, so what we're seeing is is really, uh, if you take one big step back from COVID and really kind of look at the industry as a whole, we've heard the the moniker that uh, the nurses eat their young and we don't take care of ourselves very well. We make the worst patients, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And it's almost ingrained us as, as a profession to sacrifice our well-being a lot of times for our patients. So mm-hmm. we take longer shifts, we take on longer cases, bigger caseloads than we need to. We go without our breaks a lot of times, all in the interest of helping someone else. So now fast forward to where we're at right in the middle of this pandemic, where more people than ever need us on our profession. And with the ingrained culture that we all have in some regards of uh, sacrificing our self-care to help other people, and now more people need help. We're seeing people not taking care of themselves very well. So we put your guard down to take care of others. We're seeing very similar to what, what Linda's seeing in the uh, the student arena. We're seeing increased stress, PTSD-like symptoms. They're seeing horrific things that no amount of didactic training or practicum can train them for, prepare them for. Uh, what we're hearing from the frontline folks a lot is, uh, I'm afraid to take something home to my kids. I'm afraid I'm going to catch something and transmit this back to my kids so, uh, the, or my husbands or my loved ones or another patient. So the fear is astronomical. And then something that we really didn't consider a lot is the anxiety related to unemployment mm-hmm. uh, because they are canceling elective surgeries and yeah. highly trained anesthesia providers with the capability of uh, managing ventilators and respiratory conditions are virtually unemployable right now. So with that comes the financial stress. Um, one That's one small step away from finding an at-home remedy. Uh, the bottle of alcohol is becoming more appealing. Uh, medication at work seems to become more appealing. And that's often where we pick them up um, at the end of that line. Yeah, well, I can absolutely vouch for the financial side of things. I mean, we have clients, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of clients all over the U.S. And it's shocking to me as I look at this very objectively that CRNA is making the income they make and coming from the background of being very logical individuals have seemed to become almost irrational about things uh, dealing with personal financial matters. And it, it, you know, not, not across the board, but just, we've seen it. Um, Whereas I might not work again for six months. And, you know, I'm thinking, well, if they cancel elective surgery for six months and CRNAs aren't working, you might as well write off the whole hospital system because everybody's Mm going to go bankrupt. It's not going to happen. But to your point, I mean, we've, we have heard from a lot of people who are making irrational decisions, and I've had a lot of conversations with CRNAs that, who are, are typically or have been rational folks that um, I'm scratching my head going, you know, where's your head at and why are you thinking like this? So, Well, I can imagine catastrophic thinking takes over whenever you're depressed. I mean, I don't think I've ever been depressed, but maybe somebody can share if that's the case. Well, Sharon, you do bring up a good point. A lot of uh, the folks that we that we see have, and historically speaking, have always had some kind of anxiety or depression or maybe even a bipolar, but it's been underdiagnosed or misdiagnosed or it's never been assessed for. So people will go their entire career sometimes, and it's one culminating event like this or like 9-11 or like a precipitating event tragically in your family. Maybe it's a loss or an accident. And boom, everything, it's, it's off to the races after that. All it takes is that mm. spark to get things going. And in a patient population that's already kind of predisposed as an occupational uh, hazard of our job, uh, just with the access to and the high stress of the job, it takes one little spark, one event like the one we're in now uh, to open up the floodgates for a lot of folks. 
Now, what is our overall percentage? I'm sure you know what that is. How many people have substance abuse disorders within our population, give or take? I, mean, I know we don't know the real number, but... Yeah, we, you know, we know, um, you know, conservatively speaking, and this takes in the, we get these estimations, these best estimates from people that are in treatment centers and by self-reports. And but we can conservatively say that 10% of the general population would meet the DSM-5 criteria for substance use disorder today. That means if you walk out and you poll one out of 10 people, they would meet the criteria for a substance use disorder. Uh, mm-hmm. Then we would have to determine what level, mild, moderate, or severe. In the healthcare realm, however, it's been quoted as high as 15 to 20% would at some point in their career meet the diagnostic criteria for a substance use disorder for those reasons that we mentioned, uh, their access to the medication, their high stress jobs, and then their knowledge on how to use those medications Mm -hmm. uh, puts them in this perfect storm just waiting for that spark. You know, it's interesting you talk about the alcohol. And uh, one of my neighbors works for the SBI. And I was talking with him the other day. And even though all the restaurants and bars have been closed down in North Carolina, alcohol sales are up by 300 percent and all crimes have fallen except for DUIs have soared Wow! since this COVID epidemic. Well, you know, that is an essential business, Sharon. Well, you know, the liquor store. <laughs> One, I guess we learned from prohibition. <laughs> you take away the liquor and people I mean, are really going to go crazy. Rise, yeah. <laughs> gave rise to Al Capone and uh, John Dellinger and all of those people. So now we learned uh, we'll, we'll just let them have it. <laughs> so, wh- Linda, why is it important for us to be talking about all of this right now? Well, I think it's important because as we said earlier, we're going to be with this for a while, or it's going to be with us, whichever way you want to look at it. And so we really need to be addressing it now. I think so often what happens in our particular population with CRNAs and in the anesthesia culture is that we often don't want to admit that it's okay to feel, to fail, to have all these feelings and deal with them because we think we have to be strong for the patients. We're superhuman. We're often, uh, in some instances, perhaps ridiculed by others if you appear to be weak. And so it's the whole culture that we experience. And I think it's so important that we realize we're humans, we have feelings, and we need to embrace those and not be afraid to reach out for help, not be afraid to talk about it, and because we're all going through it in some way, shape, form. Yeah, and that, that brings up another another question here. Rigo, I'll kind of throw this one out to you. What are some of the signs that, that maybe we can help pick up on that someone may be in trouble or, or needs help? So, yeah, uh, great. Another great question. The, you know, some of the signs that you're looking for the mental health, you're looking for the substance use disorder, and they're all kind of bundled up together. So if we look at the profile of the healthcare professional who's um, impaired and with diagnosis of a substance use disorder, it's not traditionally what you would think. These folks are not disheveled and coming in late and, um, you know, bad, poor hygiene. These are some of the top performers. Uh, they graduate in the top 25% of their class. They're in supervision. They have advanced degrees. They're well-liked. They're charming. Therein is the problem that makes it so difficult to catch it uh, up, up at the very end until it becomes obvious. 
mental health is a little bit different because a lot of those things can be kind of talked away. Of course, I'm acting different and I'm depressed and I'm stressed. Look what we're all going through. I haven't seen my family in two to three months. So really what the key is for for early identification is uh, education and prevention to let our colleagues know what these signs of burnout look like, what the signs of stress look like, and to offer the resources to be able to ask for help if they're feeling like this. And just as importantly to empower the person to ask for help is to empower the colleagues and the family members. Um, About 70% of the folks that make the initial phone call into the treatment center are the family members or the coworkers saying, hey, my loved one needs some help. And, you know, I asked this question to uh, all of our, our family members when the patients come into the clinic center, I say, how do you think your patient, your your loved one feels right now? Now, a lot of them just got fired. They were diverting at work. They have a DUI. They're facing criminal charges. How do you think that they're feeling? What's the number one emotion that they all report? And overwhelmingly, they all say, I feel relieved. They feel relieved that it's over. They feel relieved that somebody had the wherewithal to reach back in and pick them up and help them because we are not programmed to ask for help for ourselves. So in addition to the obvious uh, factors, uh, you would look for subtle changes in personality. You would look for mood swings. Uh, you would look for anything that's out of the ordinary. If they used to come in early for shifts and now they're coming in late or now they're calling off, those are big indicators, subtle but important indicators that something may be going on. Well, we're talking about if something is going on, but let's back up for just a minute, Linda. And what are some coping strategies if you feel overwhelmed during this time that CRNAs can use as well as students? Well, that's a good question, Sharon. You know, I think one of the things that we're talking about is, you know, is substance use disorder. But I'm also talking about just the general population now of CRNAs that don't have that but are truly feeling overwhelmed and are are experiencing these types of uh, like a critical incident stress or PTSD symptoms that Riga referred to. But some of the biggest things really are emotional awareness. And as I said, that's a problem for a lot of us, you know, to really check in with yourself and be kind to yourself, give yourself permission to have these feelings and really get in touch with yourself. You know, a lot of people want to blow that off as like, ah, you know, that's just that, you know, granola mumbo jumbo, but it really is important um, to check in. Mindfulness. Those are so easy to do. There, You can breathe. There are all types of breathing apps on YouTube, even on your watch, your phone, etc. Breathing exercises. So you do it for one minute, five minutes. I heard, I was on a podcast recently and heard about the 28 breath technique. You do the slow breathing to really check in for 28 breaths. And by the end of that 28 breaths, you know, people feel a lot more relaxed, but also, you know, trying to exercise and, and all the types of self-care that we know about anyway, eating right, you know, getting enough sleep and reaching out for help and not being afraid to do so. You know, Linda, also, I mean, I think people as they're socially isolated, you know, I know that my wife, Sarah, you know, she's a very much a people person and, you know, she, she loves her friends and her coworkers and, you know, she thrives off of people. And I've even noticed a difference in her when she doesn't have that interaction. I mean, she's at home with her kids, which also is probably driving her crazy, but um, <laughs> what I was yeah, thinking. I know, but, but still, so they, what they've been doing is um, she has two really, really good groups of friends. 
And so one night a week, they have kind of a girl's Zoom session and they, they have a glass of wine and man, they'll be on there for two and a half hours. I'm like, Sarah, what do you talk about for two and a half hours? I mean, if I got on there with a bunch of guys, we'd be done in like five, six minutes. We'd have a beer and we'd say, hey, good to see you. Bye. You know, I mean, but, but you know, coping mechanisms, that might be another way that a lot of people can cope by staying in touch with friends. Yeah, absolutely. I'll have to say that since we've been staying at home, working remotely, we have had an, a huge increase of Zoom meetings in my work. And while they are annoying in their own way, just having to do so many, they're also really, I think, comforting in a way because you do have interaction with people and know they're not physically present, but you can see their face and, and have conversations. So I absolutely agree with that. I think that that is an excellent way to connect also. Because we are, for the most part, like to see other people. You know, my son is an introvert. and He says, I don't know what the problem is with everybody. I'm loving this. But not all of us are like that. Right, right. Well, Rigo, <laughs> Actually, know. I have tried to get out and walk. I walk every yeah. day now, get all yeah. my steps in, and I put my headset on, and I call everybody while I'm walking. Yeah. And my neighbors know I'm not crazy <laughs> because, you know, the one thing about cell phones these days is you don't know who is talking to themselves. Used to, you could identify crazy when you were out because people were talking to themselves. Now everybody looks like they're talking to themselves. (laughs) But I I, I spend a lot of time on the telephone whenever I'm walking around. And and that's been therapeutic for me. Yeah, because we all all know you, Sharon. We know you can't be quiet, so we understand. No, it's kind of hard to do that, but that's the reason why you love me, Jeremy. That's right. That's right. All right, Rigo, question for you. Now, if what should maybe a colleague or family member or someone do if they suspect someone needs help or is having issues with this? And I guess the second part of that is as an employer – how can you maybe safeguard your employees from even going down this road in the first place? Yeah, I think probably the most important thing that employers and colleagues and family members, for that matter, can do is uh, talk about it before it becomes the issue, before mm-hmm. it becomes a problem. Um, podcasts like this are going to be crucially important to getting the word out. Uh, there's somebody who's going to hear this podcast and say, you know what, I could probably follow up with those resources Uh, So the employers and the family are really kind of in the same boat here. Talk about this situation. Talk about uh, the risk factors, um, the occupational hazards before uh, they have to find it out the obvious way. The AANA has a tremendous amount of resources available uh, for mental health, for awareness, for uh, addictions and substance use disorder and everything else from uh, just general well-being and balance in in your life and in the workplace. Uh, So what the first thing that I would recommend that they do is uh, share those resources. Uh, have an open discussion. Talk to your employees. Let them know what the resources are. Prevention and education will will be the foundation of mitigating the, the fallout if nothing else is done. If we had one thing to do right now, I would put all the focus and the intentions on prevention, on education, and letting people know what the resources are available. You know, Linda, why don't you talk about some of the resources available too? Because I know that um, I know you've been actively involved, even the North Carolina level and the ANA level in their peer assistance committee. So, what does the ANA have for folks who might uh, want some resources here? Well, 
One of the biggest things that that we have at ANA is a helpline. And so that way, you know, because a lot of people don't want to go to an online resource. They don't certainly not one that like the ANA that has a tremendous amount of resources to go through it. So they can actually call our helpline, talk to a, a live person and get, you know, guidance uh, and assistance that way. But just in terms of the resources, the ANA has done an excellent job, I think, during this COVID pandemic with putting together a variety of resources, well-being resources. Um, there are, when I say there is a tremendous amount, that's really an underestimate of how many. There are podcasts. There's even a, a, a YouTube video where someone is doing uh, mindfulness while wearing a an N95 mask. So, I mean, there are just a variety of things. If you think about that, I mean, you're wearing that all the time when you're working with your patients and and really being mindful in that way. And then also, I really wanted Rigo to talk about uh, the support, the front. That's something that is, is is relatively new, and he's actually spearheaded that. And so, you know, I think that's going to be an amazing resource. Before we go down that, Rigo, tell us about Parkdale and what resources that you have and how people can get in touch and who gets in touch, those type of things. Because, uh, you know, I understand you said that family does sometimes, but what if somebody wants to call for themselves? I mean, all of this is kind of new to me. So sure, tell us what, what we need to know. Absolutely. So Parkdale is open 24-7 and uh, we man the phone lines and the website uh, 24-7. You know, unfortunately, these kind of things don't work on a nine to five schedule. So uh, most of them come in about two o'clock in the morning. But it's a dual diagnosis. It's mental health. It's substance use disorder. It's connecting our colleagues with one another. Uh, We get about 75 percent of our our CRNAs come from outside of the state of Indiana or the Midwest. Uh, We get them from all over the country. So it's a dual diagnosis treatment center dealing with mental health and the addictions or the substance use disorder. You can find us at parkdalecenter.com online. You can email us directly at info at parkdalecenter.com, or you can give us a call at 888-883-8433. Our program is set up for a couple different areas um, that we really focus on specific to anesthesia providers. One is the wellness. So it's the wellness that is long after they leave our treatment center. It's the changing in the lifestyle. It's the keeping the balance, the mindfulness, reconnecting with family at a healthy level. That's one area that we focus on. The second area that we focus on is the the licensing aspect of it. A lot of times these conditions or these situations that they're in will have ramifications on their, either the NBCRNA, their certification, their state board licensing, their nursing licensure. And we have to make sure that we can protect that and mitigate as many consequences that we can uh, as possible for that. And then sometimes there's a legal component of that as well that needs to be mitigated. If there's you know, indiscretions at work or impaired providers practicing impaired, we need to make sure that we get them the help and the resources that they need for that also. Now, one more question, and this is a little bit off topic, but it's not just the people who are impaired that need to understand this. I think it's everybody else who's around, because one thing I think that we have lost as a society is empathy mm-hmm. in a large way way. And then, you know, even if somebody knows they've done something wrong, 
and they apologize or whatever it is. I mean, the other side of the equation is the people who are not the victims of this. But yeah. So have got anything to add to that? I mean, you can tell somebody you're sorry and they still come for blood afterwards. You're absolutely right. And, you know, we've, we've treated nearly 650 healthcare professionals since 2015. And about 94% of those folks that came in did not call themselves. 94% of the, percent of the wow. people started this process. It was an employer. It was a family member. It was a loved one. And the sooner we can get them to call earlier in the process, the less fallout there's going to be at the back end. And not just in terms of professionally. There's going to be, uh, we can start intervening on the mental health and the well-being much sooner on and uh, give them a higher quality of life much quicker. But uh, far greater than 90% of the people that come into treatment center do not come into treatment center voluntarily because they know they need help. It's going to take the combined efforts of colleagues and family members and employers and coworkers to help each other out. Otherwise, if, no, if everyone keeps silence and buries their head in the sand, mm-hmm. we're going to have a profession that's going to be in a lot of trouble. 94%. 94 That's Wow. That's pretty profound. So what are some of the things that you're hearing from the front lines and maybe people who have called you, Rigo? Uh, the, probably the most common, almost on every phone call that I hear is, I didn't know this was available. If I knew something like this was available earlier, I would have asked for help earlier. Uh, That's probably the first thing that we're hearing. Of course, I'm glad that they make it to either through the ANA or through a treatment center or they come to Parkdale. Um, I'm happy to hear that, but it is a little frustrating to hear the same thing. And and, and Linda works uh, tirelessly around the clock to spread this message uh, to as many people as we can that these resources are available to pick up the phone and call. So the first thing I'm hearing more than anything else, like I said, is uh, I didn't know this resource was available. I didn't know that. Uh, that's followed very closely by, I didn't realize I was as bad as I was. Um, mm. I thought that I could get, manage it myself. I thought that I could get better. Uh, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Um, with the advent of the pandemic and what we're facing now, we're hearing a lot of things about uncertainty, uh, mm-hmm. stress. And uh, Linda alluded to the point a little bit earlier, but we're hearing a lot of, I shouldn't be the one asking for help. I'm supposed to be the helper. And right now, while we're applauding all the first-liners and the, the front-line folks on the front line, it's really hard for them to stay back and say, wait a second, everybody else is Superman, but I need help right now. Uh, that's probably the one that we hear the most directly from the, from the people calling. Rigo, I want to go back to something you said a minute ago because it just struck a chord with me. 94% of the folks that come through your door started from someone other than themselves. And, you know, as I think through that, um, I think that a lot of employers, a lot of family members would have a tough time initiating that call, thinking that that other person is going to be extremely upset, not going to go, you know, how would you address that? Because I, I'm just kind of thinking, you know, if someone's listening right now and they've got a coworker or a friend or a spouse that they think are having issues or dealing with this, but they don't want to, for lack of a better term, sell them out, or they're going to be extremely mad at me, you know, and they're never going to talk to me. How do you, how do you handle that? That was just profound when you said 94% to me. Sure. Sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I'll answer that in two different ways here. Uh, I'll tell you how I, I address that concern when people do call us under the guise of confidentiality and they want to be bringing me in anonymous. And then I'll give you the direct uh, phone number where they can call. And this can be, and there's trained folks that can help them um, kind of navigate through this. 
Well, what I often share with the family members is when they call and they say, listen, I don't want my husband to go to jail. I don't want him to lose his job, but it, he's coming off the rails right now. He's, I found some needles or syringes or he's just not acting right, whatever. What, and I don't want him to get in trouble and I don't want him to know it's me calling. So what can I do? And I say, so I want you to take a big deep breath and I'm going to take you down a very dark journey here just for a few seconds. And I'll bring you right back. But think about the absolute worst case scenario. Fast forward a month from now. And think about the overdose. Think about the patient injury. Think about the DUI or the jail time or the front page of the newspaper. In your mind right now, what's the worst case scenario that they can happen? Now, fast forward or bring it back to where we're at today. And if all of that could be changed by making one phone call and being wrong, uh, would you do it? And unequivocally, they say yes. And then I also kind of follow that up with, if you accuse somebody of doing something and they are innocent or they are not doing it, they're not going to get mad at you. They, they may be a little bit annoyed, but the ones that are getting mad are the ones that need the help. The mm-hmm. ones that are fighting you and digging in the heels are the ones that need the most help. So if somebody today would accuse me of, you know, what it, whatever it would be, I'd probably chuckle it off. I would do what I have to do to clear my name. And I'd say, oh, that was weird. Might be a little bit annoyed. On the at CRNA side, through the ANA, we have a, a helpline that's manned 24-7. So people can call this number, family members can call, coworkers can call, the CRNA that can call themselves. They can call this number and the, the trained team uh, member will answer the phone and help them through the step-by-step on how to get these people help until they're ready to raise their hand to get the help themselves. Now, are you seeing an increase relative to COVID? Because it would seem to be that this is uncovering problems that somebody might have. Yeah, absolutely. So in the treatment center, on the treatment front, we're seeing some things that we didn't expect to see. And this is what we're seeing. Our patients that are coming in now don't have access to the medications that they were using because they're not working because they're unemployed because of the COVID. So they're sitting at home going through withdrawal. And now they're saying, I'm going to be off work. Uh, Talk to my wife. Now's a good time to come into the treatment center. So the, the push to get them into the treatment center today is not because they're getting caught at work, it's because they don't have access to the medications because they're unemployed. Mm. So that's something that we didn't really kind of expect coming that way, but we're seeing that more and more. The primary diagnosis upon entry today, when it used to be, when I say used to be, I mean three months ago, uh, it used to be, uh, I'm addicted to drugs or alcohol, I need some help. Today it's, uh, I don't know what to do. I feel like my life's falling apart. I'm stressed, I'm anxious. Those are the precipitating factors that they're presenting with is all the mental health stuff. And a common factor between all of them, they're working so much that they're not doing the things that they used to do before. Everything that Linda used to, was talking about, they're not exercising, they're not eating well, they're not having that minute for mindfulness or meditation, they're not spending time with the family. All of that wellness and balance is being displaced for long shifts, stressful work environments, sick patients, all with the fear of bringing that home to the family. You know, I, I go to school, I'm getting my doctorate, even at my seasoned age. And one of my classmates is the director of nursing in an epicenter hospital in New York. And the stories that she is telling me about what is happening to nurses, especially because they provide the care 24 seven. You know, physicians, thank God we have them, but it's an intermittent time that they spend with patients. And so these nurses, she has real 
fear for her nurses because she thinks they're going to have severe PTSD after this is over with or whenever it slows down. God knows if it's going to be over with anytime soon. So do you have any comment to that? Yeah, you're, uh, you're very, very right on. You're very intuitive in what you're saying. We are going to see this three months from now after the spotlight is off of the frontline workers. When people are getting back to normal and their lives settle back down and they are left with the memories of what they're seeing with uh, semi-trucks backing up as makeshift morgues and uh, people dying uh, you know, at these epi hospitals, uh, we're going to see this three months from now, six months from now, uh, when it's going to peak. If that's if it were to stop today. Uh, so we've only just begun. That's why it's so important to get these resources and this word out today so that people can start utilizing it and finding support and assistance today so that we don't have to have them uh, stumbling into a center six months from now. Yeah. Hey, hey, Linda, as, as an educator, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, what resources and what things are available to SRNAs? I mean, you know, are state at the state level, are there resources that you know, all the institutions have gotten together and said, this is what we're going to do for our students and how to help them cope through this. Um, maybe talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if we had all gotten together to do that. But again, hindsight is always twenty twenty. We have not done that. So what's happening is each individual institution is dealing with it rather than a collective movement. Hmm. Uh one of the things that we're going to do in the in North Carolina for just the association in general, not just students specifically, but invite, invite everyone, is having a, a COVID Zoom tele town hall where we just have conversations, and it's going to be about what they're seeing, what their things are uh, of concern to them, um, and it, it's going to be for CRNAs again and SRNAs. Because I think it's important to start the conversation, and we hope that we're going to be able to continue to do this. This was something that I had thought about several weeks ago, and so trying to get that launched, and then not doing it every week, but maybe doing it once a month, um, twice a month, and then as needed, you know, people could call individually. But you know, to be very honest with you, we don't have a collective way or resources available at the state level for students. It's usually the educators who are then, you know, acting in the parent, I guess, role, so to speak, for the students. And that's stressful for educators as well. Yeah, I was going to say it puts a lot of pressure back on you as the educator. Um, And it just seems to me as I'm thinking through this, you know, that would be a a logical mm-hmm. next step out of this is to develop something at the SRNA level uh, moving forward for things that we know are going to happen in the future. I mean, this isn't a one-time event. So. Right. That's a good idea. I'm writing it down. Thank you, Jeremy. Oh, <laughs> He's good for something, no matter what I say. Uh, um, so it sounds like like we're going to have some long-term effects from this, according to you, Rigo. So even once we see that downward slope or the flattening of the curve, there's going to be a second curve for healthcare providers. Yeah, there's there's no doubt. They've they've been already affectionately coined the uh, the second victims of COVID, the, the healthcare providers. And um, as soon as the, the the curve flattens on the pandemic, we're going to start to see the increase on the healthcare providers that need the the help and the support uh, from everything that they're seeing and dealing with today. 
makes you wonder about all of the visuals that you've been seeing with Superman, Wonder Woman, everybody's bowing down to the healthcare workers. And that would, I could see that that would kind of fuel this whole process that Linda was talking about earlier about the healthcare provider wanting to seem larger than life and above all of this. So we are maybe doing ourselves a disservice with that parallel. Yeah, how hard, can you imagine how hard it would be to uh, say, you know, that's not me on that cover. I'm not Superman like you think I am. I actually am struggling and I need some help. As a society in general, we stigmatize mental health and make it difficult to ask for help. And then put them on the pedestal and ask them to come down and ask for help is, is near impossible. Mm. Yeah. A lot to think about. It is. It is. Well, um, anything, uh, Linda, you'd like to conclude here as we kind of wrap up? The main thing that I want to you know, leave with everyone is to really be aware of what's going on with them as an individual. You know, it is perfectly fine to say, you know what, I'm scared to go to the grocery store or I'm afraid I'm going to bring something home to my family or I'm concerned about this and have a conversation about it. It doesn't make you any less of a person. It actually makes you a much healthier person. Mm, I think that's very sound advice right there. Um, Rigo, what about you? Anything you'd like to conclude or get across to our listeners uh, as we wrap up here? Yeah, uh, yes, thank you. And I, I would like to just let everyone out there who's, who's hearing uh, or is going to pass this on that if you need help, there's help available. Uh, mm-hmm. You are not alone. Uh, we are all here to help each other out. And there's a a bevy of resources available. So if you need help, if your loved one needs help, if your coworker needs help, please reach out for help. We recently started a campaign with some uh, national partners, including the AANA, um, and that information can be found on supportthefront.com. Um, there's resources available. There's facilitated groups. There's Zoom sessions available, all geared towards health professionals that are on the front line uh, looking for somebody confidentially to talk to and get some uh, allocation more resources. And if you'll give us that number one more time, Brigo, and do it in Sharon style, very slow, and do it a couple <laughs> of times <laughs> so people can write that down. And, and we can put it in the show notes as well. Yeah, too, yeah. but give us that number. Absolutely. If anybody needs help, we can call, uh, you can call anytime at 888 888- 883-8433. You can visit us at parkdalecenter.com or supportthefront.com. And maybe Linda, you can share the helpline number. Um, and the AANA helpline number, and again, this is answered live 24-7, is 800-654-5167. Right. Well, that's great. Thank I mean, you. And if I can throw up one last thing. Art Zwerling was still alive whenever I was president and he was an amazing man. And I would get emails from members who were having problems whenever I was president. And all I ever had to do was call Art and he was on it. Yeah. And we miss him. Yeah, we do. But look, he would be so proud to see his legacy. Yes, he would. Yes, he would. Well, Linda, uh, we want to thank you for being here. Rigo, thank you for being with us today. uh, More than that, we want to thank you both for what you're doing and 
um, helping CRNAs and SRNAs cope during this time, and not only during this time, but what you've given back to the profession along the way, because you both have given a lot, and we want to thank you personally for that. Um, Sharon, I think we're going to wrap it up here. I think so. All right. Well, we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. I thought you forgot who you were for a minute there. (laughs) I'm not that stressed yet. (laughs) Uh, If you like our show and you want to know more, check out our other episodes on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review, but only if it's positive. That's right. There's enough negativity out there, folks. We want some positive feedback. So until next time, stay safe and COVID free. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.